I'm Matthew Viriapa, and you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. On this episode is Barty's Strange. Bartiz Cox Jr. grew up in a military family that bounced around from place to place till they settled down in Mustang, Oklahoma. His mother is an opera singer and he sang in church choirs and operettas before taking up football. He even planned to walk on at the University of Oklahoma. Things changed, but for most of his life, he has felt like he has been forced to just do and be one thing at a time. Now as a musician, he released his debut LP, Live Forever, where he wants his songs to be able to continue the conversation started by artists like Tyler the Creator. Like, why do we have these like low-key racist like specifications for how we classify art? All of that and more on this episode of Songwriters and Tour Writers. Have you been performing like since you were young? Like, uh, your mom was like an opera singer, right? Yeah. When people say, "What's your first instrument?" Mine would probably be singing. And um, yeah, my mom's a singer. Um, she also sang in churches a lot all over Oklahoma. Um, you know, Liberty Christian Center down off MacArthur. Um, gosh, Wildwood Christian Church. You know, out down in Oklahoma City. Cathedral of Praise, you know, like all types of churches throughout Oklahoma. And I sang at all those churches too. Um, and that was like, I grew, that's what I grew up doing it, doing was singing in Oklahoma churches. And then, um, I mean, and then I, I got into guitars and stuff really in my teens, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it like opera and I guess choir music that you were kind of singing? I did a lot of that um, also, like when I was young and through like middle school. And I, I was in choir in high school, which is random. But like, yeah, I, I actually sang um, at Cimarron Circuit Opera Company, which is like a opera company based in Norman that my mom um, was, I think, like helped found um, with like the late baritone Thomas Carey who was a black baritone that taught at OU for a long time, who's like a legendary, world-renowned operatic freak of nature um, that a lot of people don't talk about. He was like at, in Oklahoma for a long time, um, an incredible artist, and broke down a lot of doors for black people in that space, and my mom's mentor. Noah, Noah, let me come in. Does all fasten in the window pin. Keep your hand on the plow, hold on. Noah said you done lose your crown. Yeah, you know, I sang um, there at, um, you know, God, what, what's Holmberg Hall at the University of Oklahoma? <laughs> um, that's where all of our performances were. Um, and yeah, I, I did shows there almost every summer from like eighth grade. Yeah, like shit, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, you know, um, that was a big chunk of my my young life <laughs> performing in those. It was a lot of fun. But I definitely wasn't afraid of singing on stage after that because I was always performing um, at a young age. And I grew up with so many performers. Um, it was just kind of a part of being alive. What kind of shows were you putting on? With with the Opera Center? Yeah, was it like Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan or like um, yes. Italian operas? Yes, how'd you know? <laughs> like Norman has like that a Gilbert and Sullivan society. Yes, dude. Oh my god, yeah. So I did HMS Pinafore. I did Redigor. I did Iolanthe. I did the Mikado. I did the Gondoliers. <laughs> I was in all of those. Was that something that you kind of just like grew out of? Oh, well, sports kind of took over my life when I was getting a little like into my 13, 14 year old phase. Um, I played football and basketball and ran track and, um, you know, Mustang High School had had a pretty big football program back then. And I think they still do. And, you know, me and my little brother and we we just kind of dove into that and. That was what we did. 
Um, we played a lot of football and a lot of basketball and ran track. And um, I still like sang in church, but that kind of dropped a little bit. Um, and yeah, sports kind of just ran that period. And I was always, always like playing guitar and at the same time getting into like Block Party and Kings of Leon and At the Drive-In and TV on the Radio and um, all of these bands that I've been like seeing in like Letterman performances or like finding on like FIFA soundtracks. I think that was kind of like also the same period of time that I got like my first car and like began listening to music on my own and finding like other scenes of people to hang out with. Um, that kind of all happened at the same time. You, you mentioned like getting into like kind of football and then I read somewhere that you um, got a college scholarship to play a like OU for football. Oh, no, I played at Emporia State. Um, but I was planning to walk on at OU. Um, I went to Emporia State for a year and I had a couple friends that, um, of course, went to OU and played ball. And uh, a guy from my high school, Josh Cooper, who like went to Oklahoma State, which was pretty cool. Um, I think he ended up playing for the Browns. I think he's coaching at Mustang High School. But yeah, I went to Emporia State. And um, after that first year, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Oklahoma because my grades are better. And I can probably actually get on the team now. And then I I got hurt and I just decided honestly to like finally be a civilian. I was like, yo, I think I'm just going to go to school and just like be a normal person. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I just like, I just couldn't do it. And music was really starting to take over my life, like mentally, like it was just all I wanted to do. And yeah, so I just kind of dove into that and started picking up like little recording equipment and like playing around with stuff a little more. I had like a tape recorder in like in high school that I used to record my early, early bands with. And, um, you know, just kind of messed with that more and kept going from there. You know, I was alone more. I didn't have like practice and two-a-days and like weightlifting and running. And I didn't have to do that shit like during the day anymore. So I just started doing the things I wanted to do. And that was like, just like listening to music and playing in bands and skateboarding. <laughs> and so that was like what I, what I did instead. Was there ever a dream at all? Like being a kind of professional musician, like just doing music for a living? Yeah. Ever since I was like a kid, but it took me a really long time to like say that out loud, <laughs> you know, like if you, it felt like really crazy for me to even, like aspire to that from where I was. Um, my main like goals when I was like in high school or in um, college was namely like just to get out of Oklahoma and kind of see what I can do from there. And, um, you know, when I moved to DC, like fresh out of college and started looking for bands to play in, the more I learned and the more I played, the more I saw like how possible it is to make a living playing music and every year like just kind of went harder and harder and um yeah moved to new york and played there for a while and met a lot of people and played in some really fun bands and that's really when i was like yeah this is this is definitely what i'm gonna do like <laughs> for the rest of my life this is the only thing i enjoy i really like wasn't fulfilled with my like day job which was a great job and um you know i was just like life is just so empty if i'm not doing this i'm gonna figure out a way to like make it the only thing that I do. And it was a long grind of doing both for like, you know, 10 years. So, but which is fine. Um, and who knows, um, who knows, I'm, I'll probably have to do both again one day, but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's getting to the point where I can, I can see how it's possible, which is cool. I guess I want to kind of explain or delve into like your geographic background, because it's kind of wild. Like you were born in England and then kind of bounced around like Europe and like the United States until you settled into Mustang, Oklahoma when you were uh, 12, right? Yeah, I was, by the time we got to Mustang, I had to have been about like sixth, fifth grade. What was that kind of upbringing like in uh, Mustang, especially after like kind of moving around all these different places? I mean, Mustang is, a, it, it was just a conservative spot. You know, I feel like race is like, race is a huge factor, like, in, in a lot of spots in Oklahoma, like, like in my high school, I mean, there was a handful of black kids and we kind of all were in our own separate little lanes and a couple of us played football. It was, it was a really like tenuous time. Like 
I remember like there is a, a house that was like back behind from where we lived and there's this guy who had a house and the, he had a Confederate flag draped over the entirety of the house. It goes from like the top all the way literally to the grass. He had one of those roofs where the roof is like from it goes all the way down to the ground. Does that make sense? Um, kind of like a no, like a gnome's house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he had a Confederate flag that went over the entire thing. And it was like rumored that he was like a Klansman and everybody kind of knew about it. And it's not far from Tuttle, which, you know, black people just knew not to drive through late at night. Um, you know, it was like, you know, it's just you're just always surrounded by fear, you know, and like pressure. Um, and, you know, we played football, so we were like kind of like high visibility people. So like everyone kind of knew us and like people would like say crazy shit to me. And my, like my dad went through tons of bullshit, like being one of the only black, like grown men around. People used to talk shit to him all the time. Like it was crazy. Um, my mom went through insane stuff. You know, we always kind of like the understood part of it was just like, you know, be safe and just make it back home, you know, because like there was a lot of crazy stuff happening to black people <laughs> in Oklahoma and in Texas that was we knew in our communities, but wasn't really being reported on. And it was, you know, kind of just a scary time. But, yeah, I always just made it a point like I always wanted to get out and kind of like explore who I really was because I knew I couldn't do it um, back home, um, unfortunately. Um, as much as I love Oklahoma and a lot of the people there, I had a hard time. There is the song that uh, you wrote, uh, Going Going, that is kind of about that journey out of Oklahoma, right? Yeah, um, that song is basically about that. About leaving Oklahoma and kind of about like what we were talking about, like the fear sometimes of having to be there. Scottsdale got like some really nice memories of like being in church and, you know, idolizing like the older guys that I I grew up around. I didn't grow up around a lot of black people. So whenever I went to church, it was always all black. And there were like people that I looked up to, which was really important for me as a kid to have some like black role models that were really solid. Um, so yeah, and that, that's one of my favorite songs. One of the first singles that you put out was called Mustang. And is that any kind of like reference to, to Mustang, Oklahoma? Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. And not in like a negative way, but just like um, that's just where I'm from. You know, I was kind of just like shouting it out. Like, it's your boy <laughs> from Mustang <laughs> in a way. I, I think it's like really great that the song is getting shared and people like it. And I love that when people see it, they see like Mustang and then they're like, what the fuck? What's that got to do with, with this? And you know, it's just, that's just where I'm from. That's who I am. It took me a long time in my life. I always was running from Oklahoma and like running from who I thought I was if I stayed there or whatever. Like I had all these negative connotations. 
But as I got older, I realized that the things that kind of separated me from people or made me like shine or do well at something was actually from things I learned from when I was in Oklahoma. And so I thought, how appropriate would it be to lead like the first single on the song to like be like, this is who I am and this is where I'm from, like proudly, you know? Um, that's kind of like why I wanted to name it Mustang. Have you been back to Mustang at all? I haven't been back to Mustang since like 2016. Something, yeah, it's been like almost five years. Oh my God, almost five years probably, yeah. I don't have any family back there anymore. My mom and dad and my brother and sister all moved out here in the last two and a half years. So like we, it's just, you know, we have all the stuff is just in storage now. <laughs> they live out here. Oh, uh. One thing that I, I saw a tweet about was uh, there was a Antlers reference in Mustang. Yeah. Uh, could you explain what it what it was? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of my favorite records of my like college years <laughs> and probably of my life is Hospice, the record by the Antlers, and um, there's a line in it. <laughs> And it's just like, I've always loved the melody and I always loved the words. And I was just like, this is, a, it's just always stuck with me and like got me through some tough times. Like that entire record, it just means a lot to me. Um, and so when I was writing the song, um, I think in that particular section, I'm talking about like like a really tough night <laughs> in, in New York, like after a really honestly like a fight with my partner. And I was just like, you know, on the subway, just like, like really hammered. Um, I was just like drinking, like and partying after work or something and went to band practice and just kept the party going. I was just fucked up. And I, and I was just like, just writing. And I just kept coming back to those lyrics and thinking about previous times in my life when those lyrics were really powerful to me and how, and I, I just, I leaned on those lyrics again. And at a different phase in my life when I thought that I had gotten over those feelings. Um, and so it was like an interesting moment for me, like even though I've like moved and done all these professional things and I've grown and I've like think that I've grown out of all of these problems, like there are still like cycles and there's still um, things that I face that are kind of repetitive and that make me really human. It was like a humbling moment in a way. But anyways, um, I included those words in the song as like a nod to the antlers and also as like, I just kind of think it's fun to bring things back, the things that inspired me and work them into like what I'm doing that's new. I mean, the whole EP I put out before this was kind of like a deep dive into that idea. Um, we'll say goodbye to pretty boy. Since, since you bring it up, like, um, yeah, say goodbye to pretty boy uh, was a project that reworked some songs by the national uh, when did you kind of like first listen to the band? Oh, probably in high school. Um, in high school, I just got, you know, I started listening to them. Um, I was not like in love with them at that point, but I heard their record, um, like Boxer came out, I think right during my senior year of high school. Stay super late tonight, picking apples, making pies. Put a little something in our lemonade And take it with us We're half awake In a fake empire So I was pretty into that record. Um, but, you know, I listened to it a few times. I liked it. And then I just kind of moved on with my life. It didn't, like, hit me. Um, but, like, then a couple years later, um, I had a 
a neighbor named Grant Marshall, who's like also an incredible drummer in Oklahoma City. He played in a band called Headbutt. That was in Oklahoma City. That was incredible. Um, and a bunch of other bands. He played in um, Tandra Die before they changed their name to Speak Memory. Like, like he he's cold. He's like one of the best drummers in Oklahoma, straight up. Um, but he was in love with um, The National. And he was like, yo, like, check out all of Aaron Dessner's stuff. Check out Clogs. Da, da, da. Like, you know, he kind of put me onto all that music. Um, and literally like curated my college experience. <laughs> Once I kind of heard it, then I, I really understood like the band to a different level. Um, and then I caught them when they came through Oklahoma and played in Tulsa. And I was just like in shock, like <laughs> just completely blew me away. And I was hooked. And then I just like from then on listened to everything, followed their every move all the side projects, everything. Um, I love their whole little world. It's like super inspiring. How did you decide like which songs to to put onto your own like kind of national album? Oh, well, I wanted to choose ones that were a little older because I, I don't know if it's true to think this, but they are possibly lesser known. Like if you're a national fan that has found them through their last three records, like maybe you don't know about cherry tree or alligator or some of their the deeper cuts on those albums not necessarily the big hits this is nothing like it was in my room in my best clothes trying to think of you so i wanted to concentrate on those and yeah, and and there were other songs I wanted to do, but I just really couldn't find a way to do. Like these were the ones that just kind of happened the the easiest, and the the team of collaborators I worked with just like felt the most. So we just followed the vibe in a in a real way. <laughs> this is nothing like it was in my room in my best clothes. Trying to think of you. What was that experience that kind of incited you to make your own versions of the national songs and put out this project? Well, I I went to a show. It was probably a year and a half ago here in D.C. Um, it was um, the national and they were on tour with Courtney Barnett. Well, Courtney Barnett was on tour with the national and I loved Courtney Barnett. I love Courtney Barnett. So I was like, yo, like this is like the bomb lineup. I'm definitely going. And I'd never been to the venue before. It looked really nice called the Anthem. And so um, hop in the Uber, slide over to the venue, go there. Beautiful venue, waterfront. So nice. And we got in there and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like looking around and I'm like, dang, like this is a pretty black part of DC and DC is already a pretty black city. Like it's, you know, one of the last remaining majority, like a majority black cities in America. You know, I expected to see some black people there. <laughs> and, um, I thought that, that was actually something I was really looking forward to. It's like, Oh, this will be fun. Um, to enjoy this with people that look like me. And, you know, I thought that would be nice and got to thinking like, you know, the, I mean, the show was amazing. The band killed. And, but I was like, why there, I can't think of any black rock bands or indie rock bands that have the type of career that the national have, like, despite like all of the contributions that black people have made to like rock music and independent uh, music and, you know, all these genres over the years and um, how powerful it would be if, if that were the case. And I, just looking at my upbringing and the bands I gravitated towards, I mean, I was like begging for more black bands and um, all of the ones that I looked up to, like are still ones that I, I still admire, like, like Beauty Pill and TV on the radio and Block Party. So I kind of wanted to put something together that was a commentary on that.
And so that, that was kind of like the impetus, like why I wanted to do it. And um, I'm really glad we did. And I'm really glad that they were like down for it. And, and you know, I, I was stoked that they were down for it, you know, cause I was like, you know, like it's like a hashtag art piece. And I was trying to make a statement and um, they were like, yeah, you know, like everyone bought was down that, you know, no one stopped it. So um, I really appreciated that. So shout out to Brassland and shout out to the national. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool that, like, something that is kind of a tribute piece, you know, like, got picked up by, like, the Nationals label. Don't I know it. I remember when I saw my name go up on the artist page of the Brassland website, my drummer, Carter, like, Carter and I, we've been friends for, like, six years. Um, And he played in the first band I was in when I was in New York called Contra. And, like, we, like our whole friendship is like founded on the national. Like that's how we bonded over the years. And he was like, dude, I cannot believe that like we're on this label with the national on a project with their like support from like, it's, it's so crazy. It's like such a dream. We were so pumped. So what was it like knowing that the national heard like, your versions i was flattered you know that because i was like yeah i could see them like just either just like not really caring or not really liking it you know i mean the music is really freaking great and it's really intentional music like they made it the way they made it for a reason and i love those songs you know so you know i I wouldn't have been surprised if they were like yeah we'd rather not be down for this (laughs) um but I don't know. I, you know, I was really flattered that they liked it um, or at least didn't hate it. <laughs> and um, and I was really excited that um, that I was able to put it out on that label. So you've kind of uh, mentioned like some of your influences, but uh, was there anything a little bit more specific that made it onto this latest album? I mean, I'm a huge <laughs> like Bon Iver fan. Um, there's like some fun like things over the years that I feel like I've maybe stolen that I've leaned on. Um, I don't know. Influences for the album. I, it's so weird because like, like TV on the radio, um, of course. I mean, I feel like a lot of songs I write, I kind of like try to replicate like some type of like driving, like rhythm and Wolf Like Me has like always been my like um, guiding light <laughs> for like a driving song, like a rock song. But, you know, it's like a hodgepodge. I feel like it's a unique record um, and it covers some ground. But um, but I feel like it's still like very true to me and definitely representative of the things that I enjoy. So where did you write some of these songs? I mean, I wrote all of them at home. Um, Halfway, half of them in Brooklyn and Crown Heights and half here in Northeast D.C. Um, Just, you know, at home, mostly on an acoustic guitar. Um, a lot of them started off as like country kind of songs and, um, some of, you know, they all, but yeah, they all started off on acoustic guitar. Um, even like the heavier songs like Moss Blurred and all that, like started off mostly with a guitar. 
Were there any kind of country influences then? Yeah. I mean, Orville Peck, <laughs> um, Sarah Shuck and the Disarmers. Um, right before I started recording my record, I played guitar for a country artist named Lizzie No, um, who's pretty spectacular. Um, I was her guitar player for like two or three years. Your shoulders like iron above East River in Hell's Gate Red. I gave no thought to the years I've been walking over and over and over and over your back. I can get over it. You know, I was kind of like always playing country music or folk music, and it just it just kind of finds its way into the record. I can't carry this no more, I'm struggling. One more glass for the courage to find my way back to my dying hill. If you let me And I think it's pretty obvious, like there's some songs where it's like, okay, like, what is this? Like at the end of Boomer, it's like a legit, it's like a straight up like Southern country outro. I I, I was never going to release that song because of that outro. I was like, this is, this is too much. Like why <laughs> no one is going to like this song, <laughs> but yeah, people have responded well to it. Is that kind of why you like decided to like, did it help the case for making Boomer the title of the song? Yes, that was the whole point. I was like, yeah, let's just embrace it. I just, it is what it is, you know? So I was like, yeah, let's just go through with it. And I thought it was kind of funny. And I was like, you know, I don't really take myself too seriously. So <laughs> it, it can, we can do it, you know? It's all fun. I moved to Brooklyn and I kind of felt like so many good things were happening in my life. Like I was really learning more about who I was. I was writing music that I wanted to write. I was meeting the people I wanted to be around and just getting a better understanding of what my life could be like. And it was a really powerful time in my life, like very memorable. Um, and you know, I was like booming in my mind. Like I was really growing. listening to Boomer by Bartiz Strange. Coming up next, Bartiz talks about more songs off his latest album, Wet Forever, and experiences he had in Germany and Norman, Oklahoma. Stay tuned right after this break. Focus Black Oklahoma is a news and public affairs program covering various topics relevant to the black community statewide. You can hear our program on demand for free at kosu.org. FBO is also available on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, NPR One, and NPR.org. Please download, subscribe, and listen. Fallen for You um, sounds like a song from somebody from Oklahoma, if that kind of makes sense. Like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, it, it, it's like the most folky kind of song. Yeah, it, I, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever think about like maybe adding something else to it or did it come out just like this and you decided to keep it this way? Yeah, I mean, I... I recorded it live. Um, I wrote it in the studio. Like we had just tracked Far, actually. And it's funny because if you listen to Far, the souls I know. Like right at the end, you can hear the beginning of me starting to play Fallen for You. And I just kind of kept playing with the chords and I just kind of like wrote it and sang it right there in like a few takes and Brian recorded it. At first, just kind of recording it just to get the idea. So I was like, oh, like we should write a song out of this. But once I listened back to it, I was like, no, this is this is perfect. Like this is I love this song. And, and I just kept it. somewhere that the genesis for the song in the cab kind of happened while you were in germany oh yeah i was overseas for some work um i used to work like in the climate change space i was at um i do like the international convenings like the paris agreement and afterwards i took like a week and a half and just kind of bounced around germany and berlin there's a couple songs on the record that as i'm like kind of writing this album about like finding yourself basically and getting to the point where you feel like you can create the worlds that you want to live in and and create like the environments that you want for yourself like it's basically a record about like like building like building the perfect future for yourself finding ways to like always be happy um and like kind of going with your gut Check my phone, there's an issue with the way it's roaming I don't give a damn, I'm roaning Asking me the question, I'm phoning Walk out knowing, walk out knowing that I've won Ain't nobody else in the building I don't think it matters, I'm chilling I could give the pain for the bankroll But I'll get the pay, so if y'all get started There's two songs on the record that kind of present like an alternative universe. Like there were some things that happened while I was traveling that kind of reminded me that I was still like in control of my life. Some people just put me onto some new shit, like like just some new thinking, like my whole perspective changed. 
in terms of like the type of life that I wanted to have and where I wanted to live and how I wanted to feel every day. And so, you know, this song in a cab is like peak, like hedonism, like it's me just like really like at my most ambitious, like wanting to like ultimately like pop off and, and be successful in music and have my life change. It's like a really quick song. There's not a lot of dynamics to it. It's like, it feels like a cab ride to me. Like, it's just like Zoom, like we're just going. And, and when it's over, it's over. <laughs> I got like stranded and I thought I was going to be able to stay the night there. And my phone was dying. And I literally like flagged a cab down near the highway close to the airport and just asked them to drive me to the closest hotel. And the cabbie like didn't know any English and like, I just hopped in his car and I was like, who knows like where I'm going to end up? <laughs> and like, and it was like this really scary moment, but it, I felt like super alive. I don't know. So like, um, but yeah, I don't know. In a cab kind of just like references that weird ass week and a half <laughs> that I had <laughs> running around Germany and Belgium. Um, Flage God is the other one. That's about like that period in time. And that was when I was in um, the Flage in Belgium. It's like this neighborhood um, in, Br in Brussels. Um, that's really sweet. Um, and I had a good time there. I had a friend there. She'd lived there for a few years and she took me to some really dope shows. And like, we went to a couple of, of like bars that were just like super like sick. Like <laughs> um, there was this one bar we went to where like the whole floor, like the whole room was like a couch. And there's just like, like people laying everywhere. It was, it was like really wild. It was really fun. It's a cool place. If I was wrong, let me be. Kind of like separated me from all of the shit I was worried about back home and like I was really worried about where my life was headed and I felt really trapped and and I was really scared and I was like I, I, I need to like make sure that I'm happy in in all of these changes that are happening and I didn't know how and um and when I was over there I kind of just like was able to refocus I think and it was like a really you know a big moment it was like a like a, like I said, a perspective shift for sure. Do you mind sharing with me, like the kind of advice that kind of gave you a revelation, I guess, on where to take your life? Yeah, I think that when I was over there, I was like, I was becoming pretty sure that like I wanted to do music, but I, I don't think that I was, I had never got to the point where I really felt comfortable, like going after it. You know, I always, my whole life felt like I needed to like, you know, hold down like the normal job and do like normal people shit, you know, like get married and like have a kid early and like, you know, coming from Oklahoma, like your timeline's kind of messed up anyways. Like <laughs> you think like I had friends who are like married with their third kid, taking their second kid to football practice, you know, like, and, and I, you know, it was just very much like, what am I doing with my life? Cause I hate working like I'm working and I hate like feeling like I'm wasting my time. And I feel like I want to like take a risk. Um, but I, I was just honestly too scared to, and 
um, I don't think I was like taking control of like my life, I guess. And when I was overseas, I just, you know, I was hanging out with a couple people and this guy named Roll, um, you know, he's basically, he was a dude from the Netherlands um, that I met while I was over there. And, you know, he was just like, yeah, man, like, you know, honestly, like you're only going to get to like live once. And, and obviously, I mean, YOLO, right? Like it's the corniest shit, but you know, we just had a conversation about like, he was like, you know, you should just dive into this. Like you have to risk everything. And, um, at some point, like you're never going to be happy with yourself if you don't go after it. It's just going to keep like fucking with you like forever and ever and ever. And, and it's true. Like it always has like every good thing I've ever done in my life. I've always been like, yeah, I'd rather be like playing <laughs> like I'd much rather be like in a studio or I, 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 this, it's always been the thing that just like made me wake up in the morning, like through the darkest parts of my life. So I, something just clicked. Like I just saw a world that was so different than mine. And it reminded me that there were like other worlds for me to still explore in a way, you know, I was just so into everything that was around me. I couldn't see past it. Um, and on that trip, I was able to kind of see past it and I could see like how I could fit into it too. I was wrong. this guy's name was rural yeah r-o-e-l <laughs> okay i was like there's like some weird like i don't know in the context of your story there's something poetic about being told like uh, this piece of advice by a guy named rural oh no <laughs> that's funny like, yeah you gotta get after it <laughs> man from oklahoma being told like this by a man actually named rural yeah um and he was like just a dude I met at a at a club. Like he's not like a a wild special person, just like a passerby human in my life, you know. Yeah, sometimes that's just like perfect serendipity, I guess. Yeah, you know. And you kind of go through life, man. Like people are always saying things to you, and you don't believe it until you see it one day. You know, like my mom was always like, "You can do," you know, my mom. She was like every mom, you know, she like believed in her kids, you know, my dad too. Like they like poured a lot into us and they made us feel like we could do things, you know, like do whatever we wanted. And, um, you know, another facet of this is like, you know, I always thought that like my parents <laughs> like went through all the stuff they went through so that me and my brother and sister could like be like fancy lawyers or doctors or like something cool. But like, you know, I look back and the really they just wanted us to be happy and just to like do whatever we wanted to do, like to be free. You know, having that realization was also amazing for me because it kind of I was like, you know what? Yeah, like this is like, this is what I'm going to focus on. And it kind of just gave me license to do it, I guess. It kind of fits into like, um, I guess, the uh, the ethos that you kind of had with this LP that I, I think is queerest if you listen to like uh Mossborg. Genres, keep us in our boxes, keep us from our commas, keep us niggas hopeless, keep us from our options. Which is kind of about like putting people into genre boxes. Uh is that something that you're kind of 
trying to fight with with this project like just you know not being put into a box yeah man like one of my fears is like I don't want to ever be one thing <laughs> like I, um, that's kind of something I've always I was always forced to do like I've always felt like oh like got I'm gonna play football and like that's just what I'm gonna do because I'll, I'll fit in that way and like it's my life's just gonna be a lot easier <laughs> if I'm just like kind of keep my head down and do that thing and I feel like people just expect black people to just do one thing like it's like a I don't know. I hope there's a lot of black people just like nodding their heads in silence hearing that. Um, but, you know, um, being like not a monolith, like is, I think, threatening to a lot of, you know, people. Um, and so it definitely reflects itself in the music industry. Like it's very easy to get pigeonholed as a like a black artist. Um, and I really wanted to like I don't want that for my music. Um, and that's kind of what Moss Blurred is about. It's like. I want to like stretch my music and put out things that I think are great and not be like hurt because it doesn't fit into a traditional like white pop standard. Like if it's a pop song, like just let it be kind of like that Tyler, the creator record, like the last two Igor and flower boy, like those are like pop records in a, in a huge way. And, you know, I think that was a statement he was trying to make too. And um, which a lot of people got and it it started an interesting conversation and um i kind of wanted to make something that continued that conversation of like why do we have these like low-key racist like specifications for how we classify art that's you know it really does like have an impact like how we categorize this stuff like we need to rethink how we're doing it you know and um we've got like countless examples over the last even two years of artists that are just like breaking like genre lines and like the exciting future it paints for music, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in like that whole thing. I think, uh, probably end on this, um, kind of song. This is the last thing I kind of wrote down was you have a song, uh, <laughs> called Kelly Rowland, which is, is that, is that a reference to, <laughs> the former member of destiny's child yes it is she was my favorite member of destiny's child okay i was gonna ask if she was your favorite because like uh if you're going to like just pick a song to be named after a member of destiny's child like it's kind of hard not to make the case to name it after beyonce if the others weren't already your favorite <laughs> i mean yeah i I, I named it after Kelly Rowland because there's like a Nelly sample in the song that is from um, the song that Nelly and Kelly Rowland did together. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, Kelly Rowland, <laughs> let's name it that. Like, it's like referencing like Germany again, like, and seeing like so many like just like beautiful cool ass people and they were all like such inspiring artists and they had like cool cars and they had like chains and they were like were great dancers i was like holy shit like these are the coolest people in the world <laughs> like i i was so in love with them i and that song kelly Rowland is like Oh, I want to be one of those people. Like, and that's kind of what the song is like. I'm like broke ass nigga, but I got Versace dreams. Like, you know, Berlin City where I saw the finer things. Berlin City where I saw the finer things. Candy lip, I swear she tastes like tangerine. Put a rack on baby wrist so she the team. Broke ass nigga, but I got Versace dreams. That's a lean. I hit a lick, bro. I can't afford you. Why were you afraid, love? You know, just like this ideal vision of like what it would be like to be popping and being like overseas and like living in an artistic community and you just look good and everyone around you is beautiful and the food's good and you got money and everything's great. <laughs> like that's what that song is like all about. And uh, yeah, you know, so I named it Kelly Rowland because I think she's like 
she's so dope and you know that song she did with Nelly is fire so there you go Kelly Rowland <laughs> Yeah, and I I feel like all the music videos like in that era, they were all just like fancy cars, champagne, like glitter exactly. falling from the sky. <laughs> exactly. It's like the most like over the top shit in the world. Yeah, it would just be like I don't know. I haven't seen this music video, but like my best guess, like Nelly is obviously shirtless and the camera is just spinning like around <laughs> like a Ferrari while he's like rapping. Yes. And then there would just be like cutaways yes. to like Kelly singing like uh, under a shower and she's just like wearing like a one piece suit or something. And a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That is, that is the song. It's, I, I wish that it wasn't like quarantine times because we would have done a video that was way over the top. My original idea was like, yo, we need to rent a Lamborghini and do a, this music video. <laughs> you know, we have to have like a like a solid 2006 like rap music, rap, like, you know, um, Cameron, Big Ticket in the Basement rap music video. Yeah, <laughs> just like Big Baller, like even though like, I feel like so many of those like rappers didn't nearly have as much money as they like said they did when they made those music videos, but I don't really have uh, anything else. I don't think, um, was there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about? I think like Oklahoma is like a great place for music and like, it means a lot to be on the radio back home and like, shout out to the spy, shout out to Don, Don data, um, you know, shout out to, you know, Speak of Memory and like all the, you know, John Calvin, John Moreland, Samantha Crane, Penny Pitchland, you know, everybody, you know, I, I love them. And that was the little community that I came up watching and playing with. And definitely it was like the foundation of my musical life. So, you know, I really, I really think fondly of playing back home and I can't wait to come home and play again. Broke my heart when Norm music festival was when I realized I wouldn't be able to come back and play that. I was so excited about it. Um, so, you know, hopefully next year I'll be home. Um, but yeah, I love, I love those people. So, yeah, you grew up, I guess, playing in, um, some of those venues. Yeah, man. Right, right there at the deli, you know, with hostie, you know, <laughs> right over. Yeah. I used to work at hideaway pizza in Norman. So I was, I was on that corner all the time. That was, uh, that was my little world. Yeah, Mike is, uh, I think, still. He's not. I don't think playing right now, but like, he was at least still kind of like doing shows around. Yeah, I show people Freddy Hole up here all the time, and they love it. But yeah, Matthew, it was good talking to you, bud. Thanks, K K O S U. I appreciate you for real. Yeah, thanks for talking to me, and uh, have a good rest of your day, man. Take a left on Rosebud, we near my flat Never laughs, never chill, she said But so blessed We'd hang outside till the wind cut our cheeks You tore the roof off a of five-seat and swing it for me Lord knows I love my friends You can find out more about Barty's Strange at KOSU.org, as well as the full list of songs that were played on this episode. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa. You can't pick up the phone and nothing. That's how you lose the day you want. Calling for months. Calling for months.
Dog, chill out, babe. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, it's okay. 